Maybe it was a little bit of hate, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of anger towards LeBron. And it was more personal than in terms of being objective with his ability. Uh, it's obvious that he's looking forward to the opportunity of proving you know, some of those naysayers wrong. Obviously, he knows he's not washed, but he's using as much motivation as possible to power him through this season. And the Lakers look good. This is a player's first league to where a lot of times they put what's best for the players ahead of the league in terms of taking care of us, allowing us to speak out on certain issues, certain topics, uh, empowering the players. And in this particular case, it's hard to argue whether or not a guy is hurt when medical records show there's an injury that exists. What he's been able to accomplish in his career as a 5'7", 5'8", guard in this league, being All-NBA, being an All-Star, leading the Celtics to the playoffs, averaging over 28 points per game, it was legendary stuff. You know, coming from any player, especially a guy who was the last pick in the draft out of college, and he's really gone through a lot of things in his life and see that, you know, with hard work, with due diligence, anything is possible. Welcome to the Ozzy Newsome episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 82. Currently in Los Angeles, California, wrapping up a two-game road trip where we will play the Clippers on Thursday. We're recording on a Wednesday night, so there's a lot going on around the NBA right now. College basketball has already started, and we are seven games in as we release this podcast. Uh, not performing as well as we would liked. Going through some injuries right now, going through some uh, continuity issues, some defensive breakdowns, dropped a tough game to a young Warriors team that was uh, without a lot of their uh, starters and star players. But that's a part of the NBA when you're not ready to play, when you give up second chance opportunities, you give up transition baskets and allow teams to get comfortable. That's what happens sometimes. So we have to learn from that loss going forward as we face a tough Clippers team who will have a rested uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, coming off of rest uh, as they play the Milwaukee Bucks the night before. But Jordan, you've been able to watch some NBA games uh, throughout the league. One thing we've noticed uh, around the NBA is that the best availability sometimes is the best attribute teams can have. And right now we're going through some injuries right now, especially in our front court. What have you seen across the NBA, you know, seven, eight games into the season that's kind of impressed you? And who do you think, you know, from a team standpoint, can make the biggest run, obviously, if they are healthy. Yeah, I've been really impressed with the Hawks, CJ. Uh, Trey Young, the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, averaging close to 30 a game, seven assists. He's been incredibly efficient, 50% from the floor, 50 from three. Basically, uh, one of the best point guards in the NBA from a statistical standpoint to start the season. I don't know how sustainable Atlanta is right now, but I will say that they are guarding. They've been around the top 10, top 12 in defensive efficiency, which is a big upgrade from the last couple of years. And I give Lloyd Pierce and that staff a ton of credit for, you know, locking down. I think, you know, Atlanta has really the, the most talented young core in the league. We talk about Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, obviously Jabari Parker's there now, Cam Reddish. And I just think they have so many good pieces I'll be really interested to see how they uh, how the season continues to unfold for them. Again, very young, small sample size, but certainly uh, one of the most exciting teams. Yeah, I think 
the Atlanta Hawks are must-see TV, especially on League Pass. Uh, I always say there's some teams that you must watch on League Pass, uh, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, Trey Young being one of them. I'm a big uh, Phoenix Suns uh, watcher from afar. I, I like to watch Devin Booker, see how he's playing, see how his teammates are playing. And obviously they're without DeAndre Aiden, but they're still figuring out ways to win games. So I've been able to watch a lot of different players across the league, the, the Washington Wizards being another team I've been keeping an eye on from afar because Isaiah Thomas is obviously coming back. Um, the Detroit Pistons with Derrick Rose, another guy who's playing extremely well and is kind of turning the corner after some injuries um, historically uh, throughout his career. So I, I, I agree with you. I think the Atlanta Hawks are very good. They have a, a very bright future. Obviously, they have to stay healthy. But that's the thing in the NBA, man. You never know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis because of injuries, travel. There's so many games. And um, for those who are out there who aren't familiar with our team, Zach Collins is going to be out for at least four months with a shoulder injury. He got surgery um, yesterday. Uh, we're definitely going to miss him. Some adjustments are going to have to be made because of his versatility with him being seven foot, being able to shoot threes, protect the rim, pick and pop, and having such a familiarity with our team and how we execute things it's going to be tough um, to not have him out there but that gives other players opportunities to step up you got Anthony Tolliver you have Scow, you have Mario who will play some four, you have Rodney Hood who will play some four, and Nazir Little at some point who's going to get some playing time. I think this gives us a chance to kind of figure some things out, and obviously Pau Gasol will be coming back soon, so I'm looking forward to having him, but I think I've been really impressed with Derrick Rose, um, his explosiveness, his ability to finish around the basket, and how he's kind of given Detroit life uh, without Blake Griffin uh, in a lineup early on this season. Derrick Rose has been excellent. Uh, he, you know, he's he's basically averaging 20 points a game. He's getting to the basket, dealing with a little injury right now. But uh, I've been really impressed with him. It's a great story. I wasn't sure how, you know, last season's comeback in Minnesota would parlay into this year, but obviously. So far, so good um, in Detroit for Derrick Rose. Yeah, I really like Detroit, especially once Blake Griffin comes back and is healthy. I think you look at how they're approaching this situation, obviously making sure that he's able to play in the long the long haul. You know, as April comes, as May comes, I think a lot of teams are kind of structuring um, their load management per se that way. Speaking of load management, we have to talk about Kawhi Leonard, um, who – Hasn't played a back-to-back since 2017. Obviously, he's been battling some injuries. He had some hip issues, some knee issues um, in San Antonio, some issues in in Toronto last year, and that's kind of carried over this year with a long playoff run. So they're being very strategic about how they're utilizing him. And there's been a lot of discussions and arguments about whether or not he should be playing, if if their team should be punished. And a statement was basically released saying that the Clippers have been forthright with all the information in, in regards to Kawhi's body, the knee issues he's faced and has continued to struggle with throughout this season and they're on board with their plan to potentially rest him on back-to-backs because of his knee and how it's kind of affected his play. I think that the biggest thing the casual fan doesn't realize is that a lot of times players have to do what's best for themselves. Organizations have to do what's best for these players when they want them to be prepared to play in the long run in the playoffs. Obviously, you'd like to play every game. You'd like to be available for back-to-backs. But I think in this situation, we don't really know the extent of Kawhi's injury. We don't know the extent of what his body has gone through uh, to get ready for this point. Um, It's easy to judge from afar. And and for me, as a guy who's played in the league and who has battle injuries, 
who's played in back-to-backs, who's led the league in miles, traveled and, and made some some deep postseason runs. I know the importance of rest. I know the importance of taking care of your body. So I think it's it's easy for us to judge from afar and say that guys should be playing or guys should be doing this and that. And in this particular case, this would be two games in seven or nine days. So there would be enough rest for him to recover. I think they're just being strategic about it. And they're going to continue to do this with Paul George when he returns. And I think Woj came out and said it today. Stephen Ace came out and said it today uh, with – Patrick Beverly, you know, everybody who's around 30 or over 30, they're going to be very cautious with how they utilize them going forward. And I think this is a trend you will start to see across the entire NBA. Well, what's been interesting to see with the Clippers is even without Paul George, they've been dominant. Uh, they're five and two, fifth best net rating in basketball over plus six. And I think Kawhi is playing either as good or better in a very small sample size, albeit uh, than he did last year in Toronto. He he's been he's been really like unstoppable in every single capacity. And I think the playmaking is there. He's not playing a ton of minute a ton of minutes. I think he's 30, 31 minutes a game. But this is the luxury, CJ, that the Clippers have afforded themselves um, with a, an incredibly deep roster. And you know we we've seen it. Um, we've seen load management work. For example, last year in Toronto with Kawhi playing 60 games. And we've seen it with the Spurs for the last 15 years or 10, 15 years, I guess it is. And I wonder, CJ, if the bigger picture here for the NBA is more so along the lines of, do we have a problem? Because, you know, when fans pay to see the Clippers, they're paying to see Kawhi Leonard. They're not just paying to see the Clippers. It's about marquee players, superstars, and and I just don't know how much the NBA can police this issue long term. They're definitely in a tough spot because this is a player's first league to where a lot of times they put what's best for the players ahead of the league in terms of taking care of us, allowing us to speak out on certain issues, certain topics, uh, empowering the players. And in this particular case, it's hard to argue whether or not a guy is hurt when medical records show there's an injury that exists. And historically, him having gone through certain injuries, him having gone through certain procedures to where he's really not comfortable putting himself in that position, you can't really argue it. I know there's certain things that can be enforced on teams in terms of punishments for nationally televised games, but in this particular case, if he's not going to play in a back-to-back and both games are nationally televised, it's up to the team to kind of pick which one they feel is best for him to play. And in, in this particular case, he chose to sit out the ESPN game against the Milwaukee Bucks and play against us on Thursday against the Clippers on TNT. So it's just more so about how the team works with the league. I think when they're open and, and forthright with what's going on, the injuries that probably potentially exist and how they plan to move forward and they give the plan to the NBA in advance, it's hard for them to argue that because the documents show that the team doctors – for the Clippers have said he's hurt. The NBA doctors have agreed that there's something going on with his knee so that they are in a position to feel okay and comfortable with him potentially sitting out games as he has right. in, in previous years when there is a back-to-back involved. I mean, for you having played as many minutes and traveled as many miles as you have, when you hear a player of Kawhi's caliber um, having load management this early in the season, you say, well, he's obviously thinking long-term and the Clippers are thinking long-term. And despite the fact that it's not great from a optic standpoint for the league, this is far and away the smartest thing they can do. Yeah. I think in terms of what they're trying to accomplish in the, in the long haul, it's definitely smart because the blueprint was there for them last year with him sitting out back to backs with Toronto. I think he played in what 55 games. 
55, 60 games. He played in 60, 60 regular season last year. 60 regular season games. So that means he was able to sit out 22 games. Some of those were back-to-back. Some of those were designated rest. And you've seen how efficient he was in the playoffs, how he had a step, a gear that a lot of guys weren't able to tap into. And I think that's because of how they approached the season, how he took care of his body. And I also think it's because of the fact that they were cognizant of everything that was going on and what they wanted to accomplish. I think this year, looking at the fact that he had a long postseason run, won won the championship, was the finals MVP, doing those same things, it only makes sense for them to try to explore that, especially looking at the fact that Paul George could be returning at some point. Mm. Um, That gives him less burden because now they can kind of alternate uh, back-to-backs. One will play in one game and the other will probably sit and play the other, which gives them a, a different look. Yeah, and then when you start to think about those two together and how dominant they can be on both sides of the ball, both playing on and off the ball, it's uh, it's a scary thought. I will say that the Clippers, it's like everything they're doing is for the long haul. It's the load management. It's the style of play. They're, they're 24th in pace, and they, they're, they're doing that intentionally. It's not that they don't have the horses to run because they do, and, and they're opportunistic about it. And they certainly can make threes in a, in a flurry. But if you run, um, you, you're more susceptible, obviously, to, um, to tired legs. And it's, again, Kawhi is only playing 30-some-odd minutes. And when he is playing, they're not pushing tempo. It's, everything is geared toward long-term, let's make sure Paul is okay before he comes back. Let's make sure Kawhi is 100% for the playoffs. And uh, I think you're going to see more and more teams do it as a result because the foundation, the blueprint has been laid. Yeah, I think more teams that are in position to do that definitely will explore. But you have to remember the other thing about this whole equation is that every team isn't put in a position to where they have the depth, they have the talent, they have the luxury of sitting their best their second best player or star players in multiple games throughout a season. Yeah. Uh, they're in a position where they're talented, they have depth, they have a great bench, they're well coached, and that gives them the opportunity to do things of this nature. But a lot of teams aren't in a position to explore that option. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about the other team in L.A. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. The other team in L.A., there, there is another team playing basketball in Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know if anybody knows that, but the, the Lakers have quietly been off to a, I'd say, pretty impressive start. They uh, they had a hell of a win in Dallas. I watched the whole game. They they really stole it. Danny Green hit a huge three, and then they won in overtime. 
and uh, they, they won in San Antonio, the, the so-called Texas two-step. And there have been, let's just say, pundits that have said LeBron James is washed. Um, I don't think he's had a better start to a season in, certainly not in recent memory. In fact, CJ, LeBron just became the second Laker ever and first in 32 years to record three consecutive triple doubles. The last guy to do it was none other than Magic Johnson himself. Yeah, I think some of the pundits that said he was washed were just exaggerating. I think that they were just hating a little bit, like sideways hating, because there's no way you can average 27, 7, and 7 in a year and be considered washed. I think that they were just, you know, Speaking incorrectly, maybe it was a little bit of hate, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of anger towards LeBron, and it was more personal than in terms of being objective with his ability. Uh, it's obvious that he's motivated. He's looking forward to the opportunity of proving you know, some of those naysayers wrong. Obviously, he knows he's not washed, but he's using as much motivation as possible to power him through this season. And the Lakers look good. Obviously, they had a tough uh season opener playing against a good Clippers team who was fired up and ready to play. But since then, they've been sharper. Anthony Davis has looked great. They've had key additions and role players step up and hit big shots to Andy Green. Troy Daniels has played well. They still haven't had Rondo return to the lineup yet, but Kuzma came back and he's been contributing. Dwight Howard has looked good and has kind of reemerged as a guy who can give you double-doubles and shoot 60, 70, 80% from the field in consecutive games. Um, I think they like where they're at, but understand that it's it's such a long season that the tide could turn at any moment and they're just trying to ride this wave. But at 6-1, and one, I think they couldn't be more pleased with how they've started and what they were able to do on that last road trip. Yeah, I, I thought LeBron was a, uh, a great pick to win MVP this year, a motivated LeBron wanting to really show that he still is uh, not only an elite player but arguably the best player in the world. And the biggest thing for me with the Lakers – aside from Braun and AD, is is the defense. And specifically, you mentioned Dwight Howard. You're, you're talking about a guy that is a two-time defensive player of the year and has brought a mentality and just, I think, paint protection that they simply did not have last season. You know, I love Tyson Chandler. I love JaVale McGee. But, but Dwight Howard has been different. Uh, defensive efficiency, CJ, they have jumped. Uh, last year, they were 108, 108.9. Now they're about 96. Uh, they, that goes from 13th to now first in the league. And uh, what's probably most important is opponent field goal percentage. They were ninth last year, and now they've been first or second pretty much since the get-go. I, I think Dwight has finally realized, you know, in his second stint now in L.A., that, um, you know, he, he's best suited for playing 20, 22, 24 minutes a night being an excellent defensive player, uh, being able to switch, block shots, control the paint, rim run, and, you know, get one or two post-ups a game. And now that he's been able to come to that realization about himself and, um, you know, the, the, the team around him, you, this is what you've, this is what we, the Laker fans would have wanted. I think they're utilizing him perfectly in this circumstance and situation. Not too many minutes early on. He's playing with the right units. He's a lob threat. He's not being asked to do too much or to expend too much energy coming off a season where he was hurt for a majority of the year. He's motivated. He's playing with LeBron. He's, he's in a, a fun, loving locker room to where he's able to be himself, be his outgoing personality, but still lock in uh, when it's time to during the games. And 
I think that's why you're seeing him go perfect from the field. He's getting double-doubles in 20 minutes. And it's playing with a smile and bringing that energy to where he's even switched on to guards and, and been able to move his feet and, and contain, you know, Ja Moran and, and certain players um, from getting to the basket. You know, he, you could make the argument that at this point he's become the best backup center in, in basketball. And I, I never – I got to be honest, CJ, I didn't like the signing. Um, I thought it was going to bring about more issues just – given the way things ended last year, uh, obviously, or, or years ago in L.A., obviously different personnel, but um, I, I give him a lot of credit. And the bigger question is, is Dwight Howard a Hall of Famer? I, I've said no. Uh, I think he's very close. I wonder how uh, another great season or a great season like this uh, in a more reserved role and perhaps an NBA championship with the Lakers, um, I wonder how that would change things. But right now, is, is he a Hall of Famer in your book? Right now, I believe that Dwight Howard is a Hall of Famer based on what he's been able to accomplish, how he led that Magic's team, his overall numbers and impact and block shots and paint finishing. I think he is a Hall of Famer, and the, and the chance to win a championship would definitely cement that. He's 34. Um, from a statistical standpoint, uh, and, and I misspoke earlier, three-time defensive player of the year, uh, four-time All-NBA defense first team. Uh, he's done some pretty magical things. So that that's that's another story to really monitor. I, I hope it continues to work out for the Lakers in terms of Dwight and, and the maturity standpoint there. Although I also want it to work out for the Blazers. And you talked about Zach. The injury is, is obviously severe. You guys lost, uh, obviously, no Nurk yet. Um, just give us a sense right now of, like, when you hear Zach's going to be out for four months, what what's like what's the first thing you think about i really just feel for him personally you know because he's such a good guy he works extremely hard he was in a position to be a starter this year he was playing well and he was eager and excited about the work he put in and how he was going to bring his individual talents collectively to our team so i first just felt for him man because i know how much the game means to him i know what it's like to be injured and to be removed from the team and not have things going the way you wanted to and for him, he's battled injuries. His, his finger was broken, training camp. He's gone through a lot of stuff this year and last year to where he played through stuff. And to see him finally healthy, strong, and, and contributing and then get knocked out for four months, I just really felt for him. And obviously our team is going to miss him greatly because of his versatility. But um, I, like once again, like I just like him so much as a person, and he's so young and impressionable and has a bright future. You just never want to see anyone get hurt, especially someone that cares about the game the way he does. Stay tuned because we're about to talk about one of my favorite players to watch, Isaiah Thomas, who's making a resurgence into the NBA and is one of the comeback players to look out for this upcoming season. CJ, another, we, we talked about Derrick Rose uh, and Dwight Howard, another former star that has really made um, an imprint early on in the season, Isaiah Thomas in Washington, averaging about 15 points a game and really getting an opportunity. Um, what what have you made of that? Because obviously he's one of the really well-liked guys. He's a Seattle guy or Tacoma guys. And I, I grew up um, immersed in, in Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, hype. He really, he the guy averaged 40 points, 45 points a game, I think, in high school. He was unbelievable. And Jeez. Uh, yeah, I wonder for you, from a standpoint of making a successful comeback, especially when you're an all-NBA caliber player, what, is, what does that entail? I'm really happy for him, first and foremost, because what he's been able to accomplish in his career as a 5'7", 5'8", guard in this league, being all-NBA, being an all-star, leading the Celtics 
to the playoffs, averaging over 28 points per game. It was legendary stuff, you know, coming from any player, especially a guy who was the last pick in the draft uh, out of college and was drafted after Jimmer Fredette was a backup in Sacramento and kind of went through all those things. So that kind of shows you the type of temperament he has, the type of work ethic he has and how serious uh, he takes this game. So that, that, that gives you that standpoint of, of everything. Then he goes through the injuries. He's traded a couple of times, goes to Cleveland, uh, doesn't work out. He has the hip surgery, ends up having to sit out the, la- the, the rest of the season and has to kind of start over. You know, it takes a lot to dig deep and really go through the rehab process of not being able to walk the same, not being able to run, not being able to shoot a basketball, to kind of slowly working your way back. So for him to do all those things, be able to go to a Washington Wizards team who's in need of a of another league guard with John Wall being out and being able to play alongside Bradley Beal, I'm really happy for him. And that just kind of shows you, like he's always had that marathon mentality. He always talks about it. It's a slow grind. It's, it's, a, it's a marathon. And he's really gone through a lot of things in his life from the passing of his sister to the passing of his close friend Nipsey Hussle to now you know having the game taken away from him and then being able to work his way back and see that you know with hard work with due diligence anything is possible yeah well you know with Isaiah he's just every step of the way he's been told he's too small uh and, and he's not good enough and you talked about being the last pick in the draft and um, I go back to, I mentioned the 40 points a game. That was in the state tournament. Uh, it, it, he's always been somebody that's stepped up uh, on the biggest stages, whether it be the playoffs, Pac-12 tournament, hitting a game winner against Arizona. Um, you know, basically, as as a kid, you know, growing up in, in a basketball hotbed that basically was, again, told he wasn't good enough and, and had to go to South Kent, um, got himself academically eligible. And I go back to a quote that his former coach in college, uh, Lorenzo Romar, said. This is when he was coming in as a freshman. He, he says, I think he's more of a point guard than people think. I think there will be times when he ta- when he takes games over, he has that ability and mentality. And I, listen, th- that might have been over a decade ago, but he is the same caliber of player in person, and I'm very happy for him as well. Uh, you, you know, listen, he's... He's the kind of guy you want to root for, right? And even as Absolutely. players, uh, I imagine that he's got his, about as much respect as anybody. He does. Because of his work ethic, his tenacity, his aggressive mindset of being able to attack the basket and score, man, I, I'm, I'm really happy to see him get back into the league and be performing at a high level. Uh, you mentioned Devin Booker just quickly on Phoenix. They're 5-2. and two. They've been one of only two teams in the league, CJ, to be in the top 10 in both offensive and defensive uh, rating. I'm not sure I I saw this coming. I mean, Devin's been outstanding, 15 and 19 the other day for a 40 spot against the Sixers. But you know, obviously, Aiton gets suspended, and you know, they, their roster does not have big names. Ubre's been Ubre's been very good quietly. I think that was a great trade from with the Wizards. Uh, you know, Ricky Rubio's been solid, but I, I, I'm really surprised that they're five and two and playing the type of basketball on both sides of the floor. I'm not surprised, honestly. Uh, We played against them in the preseason, and I got to see some of the new-look Suns players and the depth they had. Obviously, Devin Booker didn't play. Ricky Rubio didn't play. I think DeAndre Ayton ended up sitting out. But they had Baines out there, Mikael Bridges, 
they had Frank Kaminsky. They had a lot of different players who were able to knock down shots. And that's when I started to realize that, you know, based on what Monty was doing with this new team, the, the ball movement, they were playing like a team. They were defending. They were in a shell. Like You could only imagine how well they would be when they get Devin Booker out there. They get Ruby out there, and a proven veteran guy who's been in the playoffs. He's battle-tested. Aaron Baines has played on a championship-caliber team throughout his career being with the San Antonio Spurs. You knew that they were going to kind of come together at some point, but to be able to execute Late in games, you know, you need a star player and you need guys to kind of assume their roles. And they have that in Devin Booker and they have role players who are stepping up and making shots. But what's probably the most impressive at all this isn't the 5-2 and two record. It's the fact that they are in the top 10 in both offense and defense. That means they're approaching this game, you know, with the right mentality and are, are taking the challenge of defending Uh on the opposite side of the ball. Like you said before, Kelly Oubre is a great offensive player. Devin Booker's a great offensive player. But for them to be in the top 10 defensively, that means they're taking the challenge, communication, and understanding the importance of what it takes to be a playoff team. And if they can sustain this for a long period of time, there's no reason why they can't make the playoffs. Obviously, that's the, the caveat. It's hard to sustain that level of play for 82 games. There's, there's ebbs and flows. There's ups and downs. But... So far, they look great, and Monty has to be in, in position. Obviously, it's in the super early Coach of the Year um, candidacy. I would agree on that on all fronts. Uh, when you saw them in the preseason, even without Book, you know, you, you said they, they were different. Give me a, you know, what do you mean by that? You, you talked about the shell, obviously, defensively, what they were doing. Was it stylistically, effort? Um, how, how did you know they were going to be better? You could just tell that they were bought into a new coaching staff, new players around them, new opportunity. And you could just kind of sense that they felt that freshness that was in the air. And obviously it's the preseason, so like everybody's also excited to play basketball. But there was just something different about them. And then when I watched them early on in the season, I watched them against the Clippers. I've seen other games. Um, they just play a different brand of basketball now to where they're more comfortable with a lot of different things. Offensively, they've changed and, and added some different sets because they got a new assistant coach. So they've been able to... To really turn the corner fast, obviously it's a long season and it's early, but you got to be impressed with the the progress they've made without their starting center. He's only played in one game this season. Yeah, I I, I really am impressed. Okay, well, I mean that's good to know because um, again, it's very early, but you wonder how much uh, some new coaching, some new players. Obviously, Devin has been very vocal about wanting to make the playoffs, um, even in the West, where we know it's extremely difficult. Uh, last thing for me, see, is really just the college side of things. I, I was at the Garden last night, fortunate enough to see Kansas and Duke and then Michigan State and Kentucky. Uh, a couple notes. I, I mean, listen, I don't know how much you got to see, but Tyrese Maxey, he is uh, – he, he can really go. He's a power guard. He's obviously uh, someone that Kentucky and everyone else really wanted. He, he kind of reminds you of Lou Williams. I was talking to a scout, made that comparison. He's a little bigger. He's 6'3", 6'6", wingspan, but uh, all three-level score. Again, power athlete, really good mechanics on his jump shot, and then hit that massive dagger three to, to really end the game against Michigan State. I was extremely impressed with him. I liked him. I was able to watch some of the game. I seen the explosiveness. I seen the bounce in his step in. More importantly, I seen the confidence he had. He was very confident and sure of himself. I know he's a um, son of a coach, so he has a, a pretty good understanding of the game. He grew up in a household where X's and O's were probably very prevalent for him. So being able to see him make floaters, show explosiveness around the basket, and then hit clutch threes. And the, and the willingness to take those clutch threes kind of gave me an idea of what type of person he is and why he's probably going to have a very bright future. 
I also like I'm a big fan of guys who stay in school for a long time. So being able to watch Cassius was was a lot of fun for me because he's been in school for a little while and you've been able to see some of his development. You know, he was really impressive. I, I thought he he played about as well as he could have played, hit a big three, had obviously a couple highlight reel dunks, had a beautiful left-handed N1 drive. I sat right next to his father, uh, his family. They were so proud. It was it was really nice to see. Um I I don't know how um, like I, you, you think about the situational awareness of a guy that's played more basketball, obviously than other freshmen. And, uh, you think about his body maturity wise. I, I, I don't, I really like him. I just don't know. Like, I, I, I wish he, he would be the kind of guy I love to see stay in school, uh, two years, for example. And I, I don't know still quite how skilled he is. I, I, I think, you know, he's going to have an opportunity to take and make a lot of shots, but we'll learn a lot more about him uh, and the other freshmen as well throughout the season. But, you know, this is not the same Duke team. They don't have a Zion. They don't have a Barrett. But, you know, you mentioned Cassius. Um, you know, Vernon Carey, another a big kid, 6'11", left-hander. I, I liked him a lot. But it's a different Duke team. Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking about Cassius Winston from – Michigan oh. State, I think that's his name. Oh, but I do like Cassius from Duke as well. I'm, I'm a fan of him. The guy, he's he's the kid from California, right? Yeah, he was at Sierra Canyon actually, uh, the same high school as yeah. as Zaire and and now um, Bronny James. I think it's extremely early on him in terms of like judging him because he's going to develop throughout this season and obviously playing with K and some of those guys. He's going to kind of figure the game out. It's going to slow down for him. But I think based on what I've seen early on, the explosiveness is there. Obviously, the pick and roll stuff will come. The vision, finishing around the basket is is there. But he's going to be a lot better when you see him in March. Yeah, it's really cool, CJ. Tom Izzo said, none of these teams are ready for February or March. Calipari said, this was a learning experience for all four teams here. You know, as, as exciting as it is early on, you have these potential Final Four teams. It's also... Uh, in the grand scheme of things, just a massive learning experience. Obviously, massive stage as well. You, you talked about Winston. Uh, he, CJ, seeing him live, he's really something because he 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 just gets to where he needs to go. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Um, he struggled defensively with Maxi. Um, he couldn't contain some of his straight line drives, but neither you know nobody could. And, and from an offensive standpoint, I just think he's so steady. Um, I was with a scout last night. I said, you know, is Winston a guy that gets drafted in the 30s, the 40s? Uh, where, where do you see him? And he said, he said, well, um, if Jalen Brunson can make it, then Cassius can. And I, I thought that was telling. You know, similar kind of, very just super steady players. And uh, I, I really like him. I think he's a winner. He's probably going to win the Player of the Year, at least be in the hunt all year. Yeah, definitely. And like you said before, he's steady. He's been in college for a while. He understands the game. Not afraid to take and make big shots, can make his teammates better. And he's got a great pace. Not crazy explosive, not crazy fast, but like you said before, he uses his body well and gets to where he needs to on the court. By the way, Maxie had a good quote. He said, I felt like I played okay. I, just, <laughs> I like that a lot. Way to be humble. Way to be humble. Yeah, he was also uh, one of the top kids in his graduating class of high school. Uh, he just has an infectious spirit about him. I, I was so impre- he was my biggest takeaway last night in, in person. Just the whole the whole package um, was was really cool to see. Um, all right, my friend, I, I I think you've had a little wine. Is that is that accurate? I have. Cue the wine music, please. It's been a while since I've had some wine. I've been taking a break, using using some time to kind of cleanse. I had a little sickness early on in the season. I was going through uh, 
on some medication and, and just trying to get right so that I could breathe properly out in the court. So I didn't want to mix any alcohol with that. But yesterday I had some time to dive into some Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir. It was the Albert, A-U-B-E-R-T, and it was a 2012. It was very, very good. Critics review it between an 89 and 91 out of 100. Um, it's among the top 1% of wines in the world, and it was more bold, smooth, and dry, and a little bit on the acidic side because my, my mouth did water a bit, but a little bit of cherry, red, and, and pomegranate fruit, but more so earthy, along with some butter, coffee, and toffee. But I really enjoyed it. I had some some smoked duck with it, along with a little bit of bray cheese, um, nuts, and bread with raspberry jam. It was, it was a nice little mixture, and... Um, I really enjoyed myself, and it was unexpected. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't going to to step out, but I, I passed a wine bar while I was taking a stroll uh, later on in the evening, and I couldn't pass up an opportunity to sit down and, and enjoy a couple glasses of wow. fine Pinot. That's great. Were you solo or are you were you with Elise? No, I'm in I'm in California right now, so I was. Oh, solo. this was oh, oh this was before this was after Portland. Okay, you was on the road trip. Yeah, this is after Portland. This is on the road trip. Yeah. So I love that. I, very cultural. Sounds like I mean the brie cheese. I mean the some I love the notes of toffee. I, I like that a lot. Um, I actually thought about doing that recently. I was on a stroll. I passed a really nice wine bar. And uh, and then I looked inside and it had a, a B rating, so I just said no. I'm I'm gonna pass on this. I don't like the B rating. <laughs> That's hilarious. You can't go. You can't. You can't dibble with that. No, I don't. Especially with from the food standpoint. Um, real quickly for me, I had. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this wine before. I, I don't. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. But I, I think I am. It's called Ren, uh, R A E N, which is the name of my daughter. Although we spell it W R E N. And it was, it, I've had it, but I don't know if this was a different vintage um, or a different year, but I had uh, just an awesome bottle. It was a 2014, I believe. It was about $100, which is pricey for a Pinot, but I mean, it, it was real deal. I think it's been graded out in like the mid to high 90s. Sheesh. And uh, it had some sweet wild raspberry. I remember that was one of the things I was told. So I love that. I'll definitely send it to you. And it sounds like we both had uh, some nice grapes in the past week. Absolutely, man. That's awesome. I'm glad you were able to have some some good stuff before the sickness uh, came about. And um, for listeners out there, the price points are a little little bit higher than we'd normally like to share. But for those of you that want to be a little adventurous, I would explore it. Or you can get it by the glass, depending on what restaurant uh, you are at. As the saying goes, we appreciate you all tuning in faithfully uh, throughout the week. Looking forward to getting back on the court against the Clippers on Thursday before we go home for a back-to-back against the Brooklyn Nets. Long season ahead, so stay calm, stay patient if your team is not performing the way they want to. And also stay calm and patient if your team is performing extremely well because the tide could turn at any moment. <laughs> so cross your fingers and hope for the best like I'm doing Yeah, that's Browns. That's the real advice. <laughs> that's the real advice. Don't don't get too high or get too low. Let, let's, let's hold off on the Browns this week and let's just give them another week to lose. Yeah, it's okay. Stay calm. OBJ's birthday this week, so I hope, I hope he had a good time and, and comes out ex- inspired and, and ready to play. But you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com, backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull, pull up. up.